This week on a lively experiment, the field for governor has gotten more crowded over the past couple of weeks. And the state is sitting on more than a billion dollars in federal stimulus money. What should we do with it? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, former Providence Mayor Angel Tavares, Ken Block, Chairman of Watchdog RI, and Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this weekend. The scorecard in next year's race for governor is a little clearer as General Treasurer Seth Magaziner last week made it official that he's in and Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza surprised some by announcing that he's out. But the big news came Wednesday this week when former Secretary of State Matt Brown, who challenged Governor Raimondo in 2018, announced he is in the race, leading an expected 50 progressive candidates to start what he calls a revolution. Let me begin with the guy who knows a little bit about starting from scratch, uh, trying to build a political party. Um, some were surprised that Matt's jumping in. What about his approach? He released this audio. He's trying to uh, run with Cynthia Mendez, who's a state senator. Ticket. Your initial impressions. So, uh, you know, I believe that politics should be accessible to everybody, for starters. So, uh, you know, I think that the uh, chairwoman of the Democratic Party, the executive director of the Democratic Party, was uh, really wrong in excoriating Matt Brown for choosing to run uh, as a Democrat. Um, I think the, he's leaning on a gimmick, claiming he has a running mate when our state law doesn't provide for that sort of a, a ticket, if you will. And uh, Matt Brown could theoretically win the governorship while his running mate loses the race for lieutenant governor. Uh, you know, more broadly, I think that there are uh, some serious problems that we have here in, in our state. Uh, and Matt hasn't really been a player in terms of uh, interacting and addressing some of those issues, uh, you know, and I always have a bit of disdain for politicians who disappear between elections and then pop up to run. Uh, and that's what he appears to be doing right now, and to me that doesn't sit well. Angel, you wonder within the Democratic Party and then the larger the state, is the state as a whole ready to go that far to the left? Well, I, I think that, look, progressives have definitely made gains. I mean, we have a $15 an hour minimum wage that's going to be uh, enacted. Well, it's been enacted, but it'll be in effect in several years. Uh, we've codified Roe versus Wade. Uh, we've worked on climate change. Uh, but, you know, this attempt uh, by Matt to get into the race, I agree with Ken. Um, and that is that anyone has a right to run, um, and certainly we should welcome that. We're a democracy. That, that's part of our strength. Um, but uh, this attempt happened, actually, a similar attempt happened when Dan McKee ran for lieutenant governor the first time, where you had Ralph Mollis, the mayor of North Providence, running, and you had Frank Ferry, uh, a real progressive as well, running. And what it did at that point, in my opinion, was help Dan McKee uh, win that race. So I, it'll, it remains to be seen what impact um, uh, what impact Matt Brown will have in this race, um, but I think that the more candidates you have, uh, probably the better for uh, Dan McKee. 
Oh, actually, when I heard of Matt Brown's announcement this week, I was rather impressed. Not only did he come forward to say he's running for governor, he has his informal running mate, and then that long slate of candidates that he put together. And I thought, wow, this is so much more advanced than even the Republican Party right now, you know, putting forward, um, you know, these candidates. I do feel that he is really trying to push the envelope. And within the Democratic Party to really, you know, uh, call the question within the Democratic Party of who they are and what, what they want to be. So I think it is going to be very disruptive. But what I'm very concerned about is I don't think this is over yet. I think we're going to have more people coming forward on the Democrat side to run. And when we and have. So you win with what, 18%? Exactly. <laughs> and is that good for the state of Rhode Island going into the general election next year? So I am a little concerned about that. But I agree, come forward, run, and, and put your best platform forward. But look at some of what they're uh, proposing. Uh, uh, statewide rent control, Medicare for all, uh, taxing the richest, not a surprise, to fund smaller class size, $19 an hour minimum wage, implementing a statewide mask mandate in public places. That's going to go over well. And repealing voter ID. So it really is far to the left. And you wonder the average person in Rhode Island, this has always been a Democratic state, how is that going to fly with people? And then they wonder, how do you pay for all this? So the, you know, the Democratic Party is uh, clearly not a homogenous thing. You have uh, some real divisions within the party. You have conservative Democrats. You have far-left Democrats. You have uh, uh, a labor-centric piece of the whole thing. Uh, look, you know, I, <laughs> we are already disadvantaged in our state because it's a very extensive, expensive state in which to do business. Uh, it's what got me into politics in the first place and the fact that I could go to Massachusetts for tax relief as opposed to doing business here in Rhode Island. That's still the case today. So to make Rhode Island a less competitive place to be, we have an outflow of those folks with wealth because they know they don't want to die here. They know that in the long run they're better off being somebody, somewhere else rather than here. And I don't think we could ignore ultimately the fact that you know, we're not an island. We have to compete with 49 other states. We have to compete internationally. And if we do things that make Rhode Island a less competitive place to do business, a less competitive place for people with means to stay, uh, that harms us in the long run if we chase all of that away. And I think we pay for that every day now because we suffer from being not competitive. I'm having flashbacks to a gubernatorial debate here. Did you want to respond to that? <laughs> well, listen, I think that um, what we've seen over the last several years are um, a lot of progress that we're making. And that's why I mentioned before, and you, you mentioned uh, what Matt Brown uh, mentioned uh, in terms of his platform. Well, he can't go for the $15 minimum wage because we've passed that. Can't go for codifying Roe versus Wade. That's right. So he's got to go higher, right? right? Yep. Um, and he can't uh, go for uh, codifying Roe versus Wade because we've done that. We're working on climate as well um, uh, with the Senator Adonior from Newport, who uh, was very important in that. So he has to have a justification for running. Um, I think our state is coming back. I think we're improving, but we have more work to do. Um, there's no doubt about that. We have work to do in getting people back to work. We have work to do in improving our education system. We have work to do in lifting the self-esteem of Rhode Islanders because the one thing I will tell you without any doubt, um, I have people who visit from outside of the state. They love Rhode Island. It's amazing to me um, because the Rhode Islanders, we're so tough on ourselves, um, but we have an awesome state and certainly we have more to do. No doubt about a that. A little bit of infighting too though because now they have some progressives who are, like you mentioned, Dawn, you're, who, is, who act on climate. They're trying to primary her. So, you know, are, are you eating your own going into it? It seems to be a, a slash and burn 
uh, approach. And they were also putting candidates up again against the leadership, at least on the Senate side, against Senator Ruggiero and then the, and the Senate Majority McCaffrey. Leader. Right, McCaffrey. And then will they put someone up against uh, House Speaker Sikarchi? So then once you do that, then do you really have that heavy hand of the leadership coming after the Progressive Party? So we'll see. Let's talk. Um, the larger issue is uh, we had the governor and the uh, Senate president and the speaker on last week. Seth Magaziner announced. So and this was expected. But I wonder, as we broaden out and look at the race overall, your thoughts about Seth getting in. But let's start with uh, one of your successors, uh, Mayor Alorza, deciding not to get in. Did that surprise you or not? No, it didn't surprise me. Um, I can tell you it's, it's hard to run for governor and be mayor of Providence. <laughs> and um, have kids. <laughs> and, and, ha and have kids, especially young kids. Um, so, no, it didn't surprise me. And I certainly can understand that. And the, the way I look at it, especially with kids, they'll never be that young again. And so, um, so I wish the mayor well, um, understand his decision, um, and uh, went through my own issues um, doing the very best I could. But the one thing I said when I was mayor, um, I was not going to apologize for anything I did as uh, mayor running uh, for governor, so we were going to do the right thing. And I'm proud of the fact that um, we did do the right thing on many different issues that came before me uh, during the time. Yeah. <clears throat> I think he was going to have a very difficult case to make to the Rhode Island public that he did a good job running the city of Providence. And I'm going to use one example that uh, hopefully he can do something about still. So two years ago, uh, Mayor Lorza tried to sell off the Providence Water Board to reduce the awful uh, unfunded liabilities, retire li retiree liabilities that Providence faces. The last time I checked, every man, woman, and child in Providence owed more than $12,000 each to pay down the unfunded liabilities that that city suffers from. And he failed to sell off the water board, which I'm personally thankful for. Uh, and then he said, well, I've done everything I can. He had two years left in his term, and he said, I can't do anything more. It's up to the next mayor. Well, that's, no, you have two more years. And, and now he's unfettered because he doesn't have future political aspirations right now. But he said he, that's one thing he wants to concentrate on. Right, what so, can he do in two years? Well, so, there, there are, <laughs> there's not enough time to get into the whole thing right now, but as one, one brief example, the state does not allow its retirees to collect disability pensions if they are able and are working other jobs. City of Providence does not do that. And so the City of Providence, in some cases, is paying millions of dollars to disabled retirees who are working other jobs. So there are some really basic things that you can do to just bring Providence in line with what the state is doing in terms of rules and regulations for how it, you handle retiree benefits, that could save millions of dollars over the years. And, you know, I don't see anybody tackling it. I understand that it's really hard to tackle those things if you have political aspirations while, while you're sitting mayor of Providence. But, you know, we need somebody to step up and do some of the really hard things that need to be done without fear of political repercussions. I mean, I, I, had, I want to respond to that because having been a city mayor of Providence, having reformed the pension system, saving over $180 million, and that's according to the actuary, uh, seeing that over the last 10 years where we are, I'd say to Ken, um, have you ever negotiated a collective bargaining agreement? Nope. Okay, so that's my, that would be my first question. And, and, and Ken and I are friendly, as you know, but um, I hear what he's saying, uh, but this also means sitting down across the table negotiating. And part of what happens is it's negotiating means give and take. So you certainly, I can tell you without any hesitation, I never got everything I wanted in any collective bargaining agreement. But I can also tell you that I worked very hard. In fact, during the race for governor, I got an agreement with the teachers union that they quickly 
uh, voted down. And I'm proud of that because it tells you, it tells you I didn't give away the store and that I was doing what was right for the students. And in terms of the pensions, I would say, you know, we do need a longer show to talk about it, um, but we're going on 10 years of pension reform in the city of Providence. We've had surpluses, operating surpluses, every year but one um, since we've had pension reform, and I expect that will continue. The percentage of the pension payment as part of the overall budget is very similar to what it was over 20 years ago, even though the amount is a lot higher. So we should definitely have a longer conversation. All right, we're going to uh, walk one-on-one -on, -one on the pensions. I appreciate you wanting to set the record straight. I can see that little uh, vein over your uh, The larger issue on Magazine or in Elorza Hout. Well, I think we knew, you know, in a number of months ago, we had uh, general officers that were term limited with Nellie Gorbea and Seth Magaziner. Mm -hmm. So it's not a surprise that both of them have decided to run for governor because they needed to decide what to do next. For uh, Mayor Lorza, I haven't been able to see anything that he's done in the city of Providence that he could say, let me do this for the state of Rhode Island. So even though that he said that he thought that there was a pact for victory for him and he chose not, I could not see what that is. And I think with the other change that we've seen happen in the last few weeks and the last couple of months, a few months ago, Dan McKee as governor looked almost invincible. He came in, he had a strong showing beginning and maybe put some people off thinking that he's just going to cruise into next year. Well, we know in politics that a day can feel like a month, a month can feel, you know, like a year. So you need to let time go by. And now we've seen a number of things happen with the McKee administration to have other people think, oh, he's not as strong as we thought. Maybe I should consider running for governor. So what does Seth Magaziner have to do? He's navigating. You got Nelly Gorbea. You got the governor who's getting press every day. What is? And you see these press releases. I don't know if it's him or it's his consultants. We need real leadership, and this is what I would do. What does he need to do over the next year to try to get some airtime? Uh, so what he's done as treasurer is try to figure out on what topics can he get out there and be visible on. So in terms of like the school um, buildings and the bond issue, that was a great issue for him as treasurer to um, get um, statewide visibility and attention and also show that this is what I want to do as governor. So he'll be continuing to look like that. He has to just stay strong and steady. We don't think that there will be any ethics violations coming out of his office so he can just stay ab aboard there and just keep you know, a strong campaign going. The governor has had a couple of missteps over the last couple of weeks, this ILO contract and Tony Silva having to resign. He seems very resolute. Look, you know, we're moving forward. I don't know what else he could say. But is that going to be gum on his shoe a year from now, or is that just a blip? It's a, it's a pretty depressing start to a, uh, a governorship to have scandals at that level uh, right out the door. So I'm actually surprised that, uh, that they've happened. Uh, I'm more surprised that the governor didn't act more quickly to show De Silva the door uh, when everything first came up. And, uh, you know, honestly, one or two more scandals like that, uh, that could be a really very, very difficult thing for Governor McKee to recover from. Angel? No, I, I, look, I think the ILO contract, and I know Mike McGee, um, but it's something that is easily explained or that you can easily explain in a negative ad to voters, okay? I mean, it's not, it's not very hard to do. It's not very convoluted. It's a company that's two days old getting a $5 million contract. And, um, and so I, I, um, I hate to agree with Ken on anything, but I have to agree, <laughs> I have to agree that it's probably uh, an issue that um, he can't afford because I think that he was in a strong position, as Lisa said earlier, um, going in. Um, and when he's uh, creating an opening for others, 
um, to really take advantage of. And so uh, elections are about choices. And I think the people of Rhode Island, certainly the Democratic Party, are going to have very good choices to make. Um, and so I think candidates need to be careful. Ken, let's stay with you. Transparency in government. This is something you wanted to talk about. And we've mm -hmm. talked in various iterations about uh, bodies were meeting um, virtually and now they're back and where Zoom fits in. And the access to public records is something we all want to see strengthened. So some of the thoughts on your mind uh, as we go into a different phase now that we're coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, in, in the 12, 15 years I've paid attention politically, uh, my perception is that our government has become less transparent rather than more over the years. And uh, I say that because you, know, uh, you ask for open records, I ask for open records. Most of the time when you ask for open records, you don't see that data for 30 days, which is the maximum allowable time that the law allows, you, allows for governments to respond. By the way, Providence has been much more responsive than that. I want to say that right now. Um, so, you know, we agree on some other things as well. But, uh, you know, there's, there, there are, uh, we went virtual for every public meeting that was out there for a year and a half. Now we're back most of the time in person with no streaming to accompany the in-person meetings. And, and I think that's a terrible opportunity lost for transparency because most people don't want to trudge into a town hall to listen to a meeting. Why not put it up on, in the background in your kitchen while you're making dinner or something like that? So there are things that we should be doing that bring us into the 21st century, uh, 22nd century, <laughs> right? And, and, and there are, uh, APRA needs to be substantially changed. The, uh, uh, the way that we formulate government regulations doesn't really work well anymore. We see, we see a lot of problems within the APA and how those things work. We really need to go in, strengthen all of our uh, good government rules and regulations and laws, and, and really open things up. Because right now, it's not particularly open, and there's not a whole lot of people who are acting in watchdog roles because it's really become too difficult to do. But fortunately, the governor did not pass that legislation that would have allowed them to stay virtual for another two years. That actually did, that died in the session. But what about the transparency aspect? Well, you know, working on the other side, you know, working in the governor's office, when I read the article about the attention paid to Governor McKee's public schedule, it brought me back to my time in Governor Ahman's office. And I started a little later, not at the beginning. So I think at the beginning, they were putting a schedule out, and then the media started picking on the governor saying, oh, is that all you're doing today? So then we made the decision that we would only put on public events on the public calendar from that day forward. So, you know, you have a balance here. You have people like the media who want to know everything. Pesky reporters. And then there are the lawyers who work, you know, your general counsel doesn't want to share anything. So when you have an, not an absolute that everything's public, then you have to have criteria. So what's public and what's not. So I was thinking about the time under Governor Ahmed when we were trying to bring Pfizer to Providence and they really wanted to keep it confidential. And then your way predecessor, Mayor Sancy, blew that deal up. So we never got Pfizer or when we were trying to negotiate with the New England Patriots If we were so upfront and public it would have been nipped in the bud even sooner than it was So there really has to be a balance of the public right to know versus what needs to be stay stayed private for certain reasons I would have loved to get a pay-per-view with Link Omin and Buddy Cianti put them in a ring and let them go after each other I, I, A little I can height imagine, difference too well, right? I can imagine, yeah, be like this. I can imagine what went on behind the scenes that we did not see 
Angel, what do you think? Well, I'm glad that I had a much more boring um, airship uh, than uh, <laughs> some of my predecessors. I think uh, sunshine is the best disinfectant. I think that uh, more information, the better. I think uh, Ken's idea of streaming is a good idea. It's very low cost, if any. I mean, limited cost. And they've been um, doing it. And, right. and so, it's not like they don't know the technology. So it gives more people an opportunity to, to watch. You don't have to worry about parking. You don't have to worry about certain things. So I think that's important. I'll tell you, when I came, uh, became mayor and we were negotiating with firefighters, there were some things that they wanted to see, and they weren't like technically... Um, uh, allowed to see them and I said no 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 just let them see what they want to see because this will help us um, and they could see the information but I think the more information that's out there the better but I, I agree with Lisa and that is that there are sometimes uh, meetings that you have that um, you need a little bit of confidentiality not to keep it you know from the public um, but because it'll allow you to get to a point where you have something to say to the public where you have something to present um, to the public uh, or to the council so I think that that's important too. Let's do this. Let's uh, do outrageous. Then I have one more thing I want to talk about. Lisa, uh, outrageous kudos this week. Can I do quick both? You can. First of all, I want to do kudos to you and the production team for the show last week to see the governor, the Senate Majority Leader, and the um, um, Senate President and the House Speaker. I don't know if that was ever done before. So it was the first. You it saw was it right here. It was so. great, and it was a really great public service, you know, for the viewers. Except there was a couple times I wanted a fact check button when they said things like, mm, you know, is that really <laughs> true or not? But beyond that, and then here's my grumpy side. I understand that there are cities, including Providence, that want to become more bicycle-friendly and pedestrian-friendly, but we're also a city that needs to have commerce, that we need to have people working in the city, and many of the people bring in their cars to go to work because we don't have strong mass transit. So now that so many people are coming back to work, and I'm one of them trying to leave the city at night, mm. and I'm in a lane waiting for the lights to turn over and over along a bike path, a bike lane, there's no bicycle people there using their bicycles, then they have these automatic pedestrian lights that they have to go through the cycle, even when there are no pedestrians crossing, and you're sitting in your, in your car waiting. Um, I just think there could be a little bit better balance. I, I'm no, no longer mayor. <laughs> <laughs> She's looking at you. It's like, I'm saying it's like a little road rage coming from over here. Uh, Angel, do you have an outrage or a kudos? I, I want to say a kudos to Philip Gould. Uh, Philip Gould was sworn in last night as Lincoln Town Administrator, mm. uh, my new hometown. Um, he is a a former captain in the police department has uh, worked as a volunteer coach. Has worked on the building. You're not trying to get a break on your property taxes. Here, <laughs> always, <laughs> always. I'm I'm working on that as well. But no, I'm just excited for him. Wish him and his family well. And it was exciting to be there. And I had I was there last night, and my kids got a chance to meet the mayor of Woonsocket, Lisa Baldelli Hunt. We took a picture. They were very excited about that. Very thrilled because their uncle lives in Woonsocket. And I told them, uh, you know, I was mayor too. They weren't very. Impressed. They didn't care about <laughs> that. that. Yeah, right. the profit's not appreciated. <laughs> in his own hometown. Ken, what do you have? Yeah, uh, we don't do contracting well in state government, and many times we don't do it well in local governments, and the ILO scandal is just one instance of that. Uh, you know, we've seen the, the UHIP issue as one of the worst contracting jobs I've ever witnessed, and I do state-level contracting with the DMV uh, software thing, uh, on and on and on. I competed personally, my company, for a waste and fraud contract that Rhode Island was doing under the Raimondo administration. And we determined, in, through the, going through the process, that uh, the contract was geared to hand it off to one company. We identified it, we raised the issues, the state eventually canceled the procurement. They brought out a new one, and we found the same problem with a different company that they wanted to hand it to on the next one, contested it, and they stopped it. So. The problem that we have with our government is I think that some politicians use 
the contracting process as a goodie bag to some extent. And it shouldn't be, and we don't have a good independent check and balance on the procurement process. And I can tell you from direct experience that the procurement process is broken. Translates into a lot of money. Yep. Uh, we have about five minutes left. Angel, let me start with you. We have a once in a lifetime, literally, tranche of money. And now the governor, it's funny, I talked to the governor last week. We taped that show two weeks ago. Well, we're still looking at it. Now everybody's stumbling all over themselves because they haven't spent a dime, which I think is problematic. But so now if the, the locals and cities and towns have, an issue, have a, a chance and the state. Wh what would be on your wish list if you were sitting, well, maybe sitting in the mayor's seat, but in general, what is your thought about using this money? What should we do with it? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to focus on housing. I think housing is a huge issue. I can't believe the rental prices that are more than what my first mortgage was mm -hmm. um, for a renting a small apartment. So I think that the focusing on housing is very important. I think we've got to focus on our workforce and helping to strengthen our workforce and improve our workforce. Education, I'm so glad to see that we're working on rebuilding schools or building new ones um, and doing everything we can there. We need to support our teachers in every way possible um, and this is an opportunity to do that. Um, the infrastructure that we've already started with the roadworks um, is very important as well because everyone uses it and no matter where you are, um, no one's, very few people I think, uh, I don't know of anyone who travels in helicopter around Rhode <laughs> Island, right? So um, so they're using your roads, the bridges, so that's uh, very important. I think focusing on long-term investments that will benefit us and if we can get people under uh, a roof, uh, having a home, uh, if we can get people in to the very best schools and become a better school system all around uh, the state of Rhode Island, if we can improve our infrastructure, that's going to benefit all of us. Please. Yeah, I've, you know, I, I fully agree with everything that you just said, Mayor. I mean, when I'm looking at it, too, I'm a little concerned about the governor wanting to do about 10 percent of the money and to start to infuse it. But right out the door. Right out the door. But that's okay, you know, if we're doing it in the long-term investment. So this is a real time, you know, once in a lifetime to get this much money from the federal government for all the times we said, gee, if we had this money, what would we do? So how many conversations in the state have we said, what do we need to do to um, better our business climate here? Because we really need to have strong business here. You know, to support wages for our workers. And everything that you said exactly falls in those categories. They, they look at our education. They look at our roads. They look at our infrastructure. They look at our wor workforce development and our education and, and training. Exactly. So this is the one time for us to really, you know, be thoughtful and comprehensive and take that money and make long-lasting change in the state of Rhode Island. Yeah, if we said we had a magic wand, well, now, in effect, we do have a magic wand. What yeah. do you think? So, uh... I agree at a high level at all the issues that you raised. We agree on something else. I think we disagree. This is on, a big problem yeah. here. I was bringing you guys on. I thought there was going to be a little more uh, divergence of opinion. Although I will say that I disagree, uh, I believe, at what is the problem with the educational system. I, I believe we have some more fundamental problems than even infrastructure because the results are so poor and, and new skill, school buildings aren't necessarily going to address the performance. The one thing that I want to bring up that I think has been completely ignored here, and it's a really, it's a big problem that's coming at us. Uh, we've completely depleted our unemployment insurance fund. Uh, and a lot of those funds were stolen from us. The, there was a huge fraud because our technical infrastructure at the DLT was terrible. It's been terrible. It's been known to be a problem for a long time, and we paid dearly for it in terms of the theft. We should not require Rhode Island businesses, small and large, to replenish the unemployment insurance fund because A, the monies were stolen from it, from. or B, because of the pandemic, which business had no ability to control whatsoever. So if we don't take 
uh, whatever chunk of money is necessary from, from these funds and make our unemployment insurance system whole and remove the burden of refilling it from business, if we don't do that, we are committing a colossal disservice to our business community. Last 30 seconds. No, you? I mean, I was a victim of fraud uh, in unemployment, I so, I, so I know what you're saying, I, and I'll, yeah, I'll end uh, agreeing. I think that that's a good idea, and it's a way to help small businesses grow. The only, last thing I'd say is that we need to support um, organic growth here in our state. What I mean by that is that we always focus on bringing in companies. I still believe that um, having companies that are born here, that grow here, uh, that expand here, is something that we need as well. He needs to run for governor. I think. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a couple of guys here run for governor already. All right, folks, that is all the time we have. Angel and Ken, start disagreeing a little bit more. And uh, Lisa, thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us here uh, on Lively. You never know who's going to be running for governor between now and next week. So come back. We'll have it covered for you. As It won't be Angel as the Lively experiment continues. Have a good week. experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm John Hazen White jr. and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS